137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 192 of Pixelated Paranormal. Have we got a show for you? And we're going kind of old school on this episode because tonight it is just Preston and I. Yep. Steve is, uh, Steve, uh, you know, got in in an encounter with the Bat Squatch and uh, fell off the side (laughs) of a cliff. And we don't know where the fuck Steve is. So, uh, (laughs) you know, he may or may not be okay, you know. What can you do? Yeah, well, Steve got called away for work this evening, and that's okay because we are recording on a night that we normally don't record. But that's okay because we have a good... <laughs> Hold the phone. Okay, so originally this episode was going to be Cryptid Encounters 18. However, we decided to go ahead and cut the news into its own episode because it ran nearly an hour long. Also... On the Instagram and Facebook post we made, you guys had some pretty good feedback as to other creatures that were similar to the one we're going to dive into. So we decided to go ahead and do a little more research on a few of your guys' favorite water monsters so we can include that into the episode. So catch us next week for The Monster, but for now, enjoy. At the top of the episode, we want to give a hearty, heartfelt cow skull shout out to our good buddy Isaac We spent last Thursday up at Isaac's place out in the fields uh, taking some photos for the podcast. Uh, Stephen, Preston, and myself, we had some great shots we'll be sharing of not only us for the podcast, but also Stephen in his incredible Pennywise costume. And then on top of that, um, pictures that may not get shared on the podcast page, but uh, (laughs) Presto and I did some real fancy dudoir, boudoir photos for our ladies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I've been texting to all my buddies. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But, yeah, Isaac, thanks again, man. Uh, Isaac gave up an entire day to hang out with us and follow us around with the camera, and we had one hell of a good time. And also, um, Isaac, thanks again, dude. He gave us uh, some incredible gifts here he made. He made some wooden coasters out of our logo. So tonight's beer is sitting right on top of a pixelated paranormal wooden coaster. Oh, man, me too. And I have a Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. What? That's kind of cool. Yeah. My my uh, my buddy at uh, work um, mm-hmm. is obs- obsessed with uh, Steve Austin because he thinks that uh, he could be Steve Austin's twin. And so when he found <laughs> out that uh, he had an IPA, and he's not a beer drinker, he's more of a cigar and whiskey guy, but okay. uh, he, uh, you can only get this from the brewery in Texas. And so uh, one of his employees was down there last weekend, and uh, he convinced her to go ahead and pick up four or five, uh, four packs of it. And uh, <laughs> because he thinks I'm such a peach at work and everything that I do to help him out, he uh, gave me one on the house, and uh, it's not bad. So huh. it's a pr- pretty smooth. I'm not a big IPA guy. Um, you know, I would say that a normal IPA tastes like, uh, you know, bat squash, uh, dipped his dingleberries, you know, in a beer and switched it around. <laughs> but, uh, this, this one's pretty smooth. This one had a light tapping of uh, bat squash nuts in it. So, 
Oh, okay, not too shabby. Not like the uh, Rogue's Basquatch IPA, huh? That one's uh, that one's a little more hefty or uh, tall grass. If you're listening, fuck you for ever making the thing called the Grizz because that was the most like bitter <laughs> beer I've ever tasted in my life. Oh man, we uh, this is beer talk, folks. Welcome to Pixelated Paranormal yeah. Beer Talk. I tried a um, oh god, I tried a hemp infused beer in California. It was not a THC beer. It was just brewed. Um, with hemp, and it was just horrible. <laughs> that's the best only way to describe it. But yeah, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, it was it was terrible. Um, and if some... you're li- if you're listening, Tallgrass, uh, Sean and I did bathe ourselves in buffalo sweat for Dudewar photos. So we're <laughs> we're kind of like your unofficial sponsors because we love buffalo sweat so much. So. That's true. We took a couple of photos towards the end of the shoot of us um, just dumping. Uh, we wanted to do Guinness because my thought was Guinness is cheap and it's, you know, we're just going to dump it on ourselves into the grass. Um, but no, we got there and found out that our favorite buffalo sweat was actually like a whole buck and a half cheaper. And you got more beer uh, to buy the Sixers. So we just, yeah, we dumped buffalo sweat all over ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> we we may have to share some of these photos. People are going to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good stuff. Well, I'm drinking a 903 peanut butter ale tonight, which tastes like you just mixed a whole beer with a bowl of peanut butter crunch. It is delicious. You fancy bitch. But we're not, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about beer, folks. We're here to talk about the unusual and the strange. And Preston, what do we love talking about more than the unusual and strange? Apparently Russia, because that seems to be all we're talking about recently. Or China, I mean. Or, yeah, that's do. true, China. Yeah, and basically yeah. anybody communist. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> just kidding, baby. <laughs> well, we might need to start worrying about the old Ruskies again, because is that fair to say? Is that politically incorrect? We should probably maybe do a litmus test. Is Ruskies no, not I, a good thing to call folks? But... And wouldn't you know it? Yes, indeed, the term Ruski is offensive. So from here on out, we will no longer be using that term when referring to Russian stories. Uh, We were dumb enough to think it was just a common vernacular for the war, which, in fairness, it was. However, it was a derogatory term, and from now on, we will refrain from using the term going forward and would like to apologize for using it in previous episodes because we were ignorant enough to not realize that was an offensive term. And I I tell you why it's kosher, because when you and I were growing up as as, uh, children... Uh-huh. The, co- the Cold War was still in effect. And so every movie that Hollywood produced in the in the mm-hmm. you know the early to late 80s, the bad guys were always the Russians. And uh, they actually made a, a movie that Dad bought me on Laserdisc that uh, was called Ruskies. and it was about a uh, Russian submarine, uh, you know, sailor that uh, got stranded in the United States and these American kids found him. And instead of turning him over to like, you know, the FBI, like they taught him like English and like, you know, basically learned that Russia really is our friend, you know, they're not all bad. So it was uh, uh, kind of, kind yeah. of like a anti-propaganda comedy. 
and uh, but that's what uh, that's what we called them back in the 80s like that's what we grew up you know it's like uh, you... well i'm gonna tell you what we're not gonna use it anymore because apparently when i do a quick google it says it could be the equivalency of calling a polish person a polack uh, and a lot of other really unfortunate words I will not say. So, folks, that was the death of us calling Russians Ruskies. I'm Damn going it. to actually do an edit on that. <laughs> yeah, nobody oh, will shit. ever know about our childhood. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Well, we're going to talk about Russia again because there's some serious shit going on over in Russia, folks. First, you know, some people have an issue with us cloning Dolly the Sheep. Some people say, you know, it's a huge advancement in science. Others say it is people playing God. Well, let's just shove Dolly the clone sheep off to the side. Because in Russia, they're wanting to try to clone and resurrect an army of 3,000-year-old Scythian warriors. When you hold a job like the defense minister of Russia, you presumably have you know, a little bit of power on your hands and you'd like to think outside the box because your main job is to protect your country. Well, with his latest strategy, Sergei Shogu is taking a huge swing at developing the ultimate army because he wants to resurrect using the DNA of a 3,000-year-old Scythian warrior's skeleton to potentially bring them back to life. So here's some background. The Scythian people, who originally came from modern-day Iran, were nomads who traveled around Eurasia between the 9th and 2nd century BC, building an incredibly powerful empire that endured for several centuries. These guys were like the top of the food chain, right? Until they weren't. Because unfortunately, as you know, the food chain oftentimes works and armies work, their competitors phased them out. So two decades ago, archaeologists uncovered a well-preserved remain of soldiers in a kurgan, or what we call a burial mound, over in Tuva, which is a region of Siberia. Because Tuva's position in Siberia is so cold, much of the permafrost, or the frozen soil on top, remains frozen. This is where the Scythian warrior saga grows complex. Because of the frozen soil, it preserved the biological matter perfectly, better than any other kind of frozen ground. Thus, the Russian defense minister, Sergei, knows better than anybody that this is actually a perfect form of preservation because he himself is from that region called Tuva. He says, of course, we would like to very much find the organic matter, and I believe you understand what would follow that. It would be possible to make something of it, if not Dolly the Sheep. In general, it'll be very interesting. Sergei subtly suggested that going through some kind of human cloning process could then resurrect the once great race of people. But could it be possible, Presto? Well, to date, nobody that we know of has cloned a full human being. But scientists have successfully executed therapeutic cloning of individual types of cells and other specific gene editing work and of course, there are some high-profile examples of cloning that are pretty, pretty interesting when it comes to cloning complex animals, i.e. Dolly the Sheep. Earlier this year, for example, scientists cloned an endangered U.S. species for the first time, a black-footed ferret whose donor had been dead for more than 30 years. So, Presto, why would humans be off the menu? 
They're not, but I'm going to let you finish your news story and interject with a little bit of tidbit that I know about cloning, so carry on. I sure will, my wayward friend. Blame this issue on technological problems, which are the most common in cloning. A very specific common problem in cloning is called nuclear transfer. It's the process where you take a somatic cell like skin or an organ cell with a very specific established purpose in the body. It has its own nucleus. It has its very own nucleus that is carefully lifted out, and then that nucleus is then deposited into an oh god, how do you pronounce that? Oocyte? Oocyte? O O C Y T E? Uh, I didn't take science any time in the last ten years, or what you would call scientists. an egg cell. <laughs> We're not scientists. We've cleared that up. With its own nucleus carefully removed, it's like basically a blank template waiting to have a new nucleus nucleus swapped in. But anyway, curiously, the United States hasn't personally banned the gene editing of embryos yet. But the NIH does not fund research on the practice, and places like in vitro clinics aren't allowed to do any non-U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved manipulation of embryos under any circumstance. Now, does that mean that we haven't done it? I bet you we have. But people don't like it because it makes them feel kind of ucky because somebody is playing God. Yeah. Scientists have cloned certain monkeys, though, so primates are at least hypothetically still in the mix, despite the spindle proteins. But the success rate, even for non-primate clones, is already very low. It took Dolly the Sheep's research team 277 attempts to get a viable embryo. Oh my god, what happened to the other 276, man? It's kind of like on the movie The Fly when they had the, uh, the baboon cat. Ugh. Yeah, freak sheep. That's what happened. <laughs> and what if the cloning of a person went successfully? Well, the Scythians were powerful warriors and gifted horsemen, but scientists, or rather the Kremlin, would have to carefully monitor a cloned baby version of a deceased adult warrior for illness and other prosaic childhood problems. Who would raise the children? Who would be legally responsible for their well-being? Sergei said that the future race of extremely capable fighters might be about 20 years away with an added flip of a coin on nature versus nurture. After all, the Scythian warriors didn't have plumbing, let alone smartphones. So this could be a whole new world. Can you imagine? Just basically, it's like, uh, uh, what's that Brendan Fraser movie? Uh, uh, Encino Man. Encino Man. Yeah, it's basically Encino Man with a bunch of bloodthirsty warriors. Anyhoozle, that was me taking chunks out of a very special article from menshealth.com. Preston, tell me what you know about cloning. So, um, you know, uh, CRISPR is uh, one of those companies that's uh, here in the United States, and um, they do gene editing therapy. And uh, they have gone as far as they could manipulate the um, embryonic genes of like a rabbit to where when that rabbit grew up, um, they could control like um, what color eyes it would have, what color fur it would have, the size of the rabbit. Uh, They went as far as they could um, manipulate the genes um, that like during like the fetus stage when it was developing, 
Um, they can mm-hmm. introduce things not normal to a rabbit, and they can make the la- rabbit um, glow in the dark. So they could take um, DNA sequences from other animals, um, like jellyfish and other things, and they could get the rabbits to glow. And oh yeah, um, so there there there's not a lot of funding um, going on, and one of the top gene therapist that at one point worked for CRISPR um, had so this is a touchy this is a touchy subject so to not offend anybody I'll try to I'll try to be as vague as possible he he noticed that through his studies of genes that certain ethnic groups had higher quality of genes versus lower mm-hmm. quality of genes so, uh, you know, you see more diseases, uh, more eye problems, more, you know, cancers that would pop up in certain ethnic backgrounds just because of mm-hmm. the genes. So the way that he worded it got him and got him uh, uh, basically put his ass to the, you know, to the flame. Um, he wasn't doing too hot. And the government's like, listen, we can't have you, you know, sprouting off some Nazi propaganda shit like that like you're, you're basically you know the way you're making it sound like you know the third reich you know, like aryan superior race bullshit so they cut all oh, this funding yeah. and um you know last year year before last the uh in in china um you had that scientist that got his ass in trouble because he had manipulated the genes of a baby whose parents were both like HIV positive and because of gene therapy, um, the baby was born like AIDS free and was essentially immune to the HIV virus. And mm-hmm. um, which in China, it's actually kosher to do all those studies and do all those tests. However, because he wasn't working for the People's Republic Army, um, they said, hey, buddy, you got to cut that shit out. Um, you're going to go spend some time in a re-education camp, and then you're going to come work for us. And oh, um, wow, their views on uh, gene therapy is very much the views from the guy from America. So they said, listen, we see that uh, the American government uh, shit on you, so we're going to pay you millions and billions of dollars to uh, come work for us. And it'll be unregulated. You can, you know, basically wherever the wind takes you, we're okay with that. But uh, for all intents and purposes, you're a Chinese citizen now, and you cannot sell your secrets back to the United States. Like, tough luck on them, but you're ours now. And so he was like, fuck yeah, dude, billions of dollars. Fuck, why wouldn't I take this opportunity? And so (laughs) he is now working for the Chinese, and he's been working for the the Chinese for many years now. And a lot of their genetic companies basically have vending machines to where, as an employee, you can purchase a package, a genetic package. And um, if you want your son to be the next seven-foot-tall basketball superstar, um, Mm -hmm. they have a gene therapy package put together that will manipulate the genes in your embryo to allow them to grow up to be the world's best athlete. And uh, they have some other things going on. So uh, our governments, the Russian government, and pretty much everybody else government-wise knows 
that China has been successfully engineering the world's first super soldier for years now, and they've been testing on humans, and they've got it in the works. So the idea that this uh, Russian guy's like, you know what, fuck your super soldier bullshit. We're gonna like dig back into time and get the world's, you know, world's best Conan the Barbarian DNA. <laughs> We're gonna get those motherfuckers back to life. And you know what, fuck you, China, <laughs> Russia number one. And oh uh, wow, that's where we're at, buddy. So, holy crap, that's wild. Yeah, I think it's really what it boils down to is Russia is just really upset that you know they're always getting bronze in the Olympics because United States and China are like back to back with those gold, baby, and Russia's tired of third place. So they're like, "Fuck, we'll bring these dudes back from the dead." Fuck y'all, Russia's taking home the gold, and uh, you know, next Olympics, I mean. I'm not psychic or anything, but I'm going to predict that there might be some gene meddling going on, and uh, Russia might come out on top on this one because the Scathian DNA, uh, that's gold material. Interesting. I didn't know about any of that. I mean, I knew that gene therapy was a thing that they were looking into, and I knew that um, it's very, very frowned upon, but I've also read other science websites saying that it's not in the you know, it's it's no longer the distant future. It's kind of a yeah. a very real, very possible outcome for people to walk up and just be like, you know what? We want our baby to be a boy. We want him to have blue eyes. We want him to be about six two, and, and they that, can just freaking crank that out. Yeah, and that's where we can actually that, um, you know, like all the negativity surrounding cloning because you are playing God, like you're creating something from nothing. Um, yeah. We have the technology and we can't do it, but to get the, the rest of the scientific world and everybody else on board, you could basically say like, listen, um, you know, uh, cancer runs in your family. If you come to this company, we can just alter the genome of your embryo um, so it's still your baby. We're not cloning anything, but we're altering the genome so that we can guarantee you that your child will never suffer from liver cancer. Your child will never suffer from these diseases because we're able to manipulate that sequencing and make you a healthier child. Oh, by the way, you're you're in Hollywood. Uh, you want a blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, you want long legs. Uh, you want somebody that looks like Brad Pitt? We got that option, too. You just clickety-clackety here and pay us some money, and then boom, <laughs> you have Hollywood Baby. Healthy yeah. Hollywood Baby, mind you. And uh, I honestly, I think that's the way that the future is going to go. So, Yeah, that's the part I had read about the most. I think it was like a GQ or something. They were talking about how that was the big push for Hollywood, is we could breed basically an army of... <laughs> super super pretty people kind of you know like zoolander <laughs> um do you remember oh gosh it's been years ago um we talked about how they were trying to make new sausages and the sausages would be flavored after people oh yeah yeah you could get the uh which james franco sausage yeah. and stuff he's probably that's not going to happen now with the way what he's been doing in the news um, but yeah. uh, a Tom yeah, Cruise right. sausage or a Brad Pitt sausage or yeah. a George Clooney sausage, those are still a very rare possibility. Like you can imagine yourself over the fire with a nice, you, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever wine that you like, and then a, a spicy, uh, you know, George Clooney sausage. Uh, 
you know, <laughs> summer sausage. Yeah. Oh man. Um, speaking of, um, how to not spoil this Russian scientists. I want everybody to take my advice, take my recommendation. If you haven't watched the documentary called Icarus on Netflix yet, you should really check out Icarus. It is an American cyclist who does a documentary to see if basically he could find a way to have another doctor or a scientist help him take steroids and basically cheat the system. Not because he wants awards, but like he's, it's the cyclist. It's like one of like the, not the Tour de France, but whatever, like the, uh, the championship just below Tour uh, Tour de France is. He has won all these awards. He doesn't want to do Tour de France, so he basically wants to see now, because he's bored, if he could actually cheat his way, if he could basically beat the drug screening practices of all these cycling um, competitions. It's a really phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. You should check it out, because it has a huge left turn about halfway through. So please, definitely, uh, it's worth watching. Check out Icarus on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's a Netflix original. But Hell yeah, man. Cool. Well, let's, let's uh, avert our gaze from Russia to the skies. Because, guys, the next celestial event to light up the sky across the northern hemisphere is going to happen on May 26th. The super flower blood moon is about to be upon us. It's the product of an upcoming lunar eclipse as the moon inches its way closer to Earth, closer than it will be all month, with fragments of the sunlight drenching the lunar surface, turning it into a deep, deep red. Here's what you need to know about the super flower blood moon. It's an eclipse that you can stare at because it's a lunar eclipse happening at night, which is a plus as far as eclipses are concerned, on May 26th, a total lunar eclipse of the heart will be <laughs> added that part in, will ensure when the moon moves inside the Earth's shadow, it'll be putting the sun, Earth, and moon in a perfect alignment. The brief moment of symmetry causes the moon to be obscured from onlookers, thus causing a lunar eclipse. And like I said earlier, because the way the sun's going to be shining on it, it's supposed to turn into a dark, dark red. Hmm. Uh, the color red comes from the sunlight filtering through Earth's atmosphere, a ring of light created by all the sunrises and sunsets happening around the planet at the same time. Because of the reddish color, a lunar eclipse is often called a blood moon. The term flower doesn't really come from anywhere either. May's full of moon is a traditional <laughs> uh, full moon called the flower moon, stemming from, pun alert, it's association with the bloom of spring. So it's not going to make your flowers bloom any bigger, any brighter, or any better. Now what you're going to want to do is jump online and Google how good we're going to be able to see it. Because here in the U.S., if you're in the middle of Kansas, I'm not sure how good we're going to see it. Because Lifehacker.com says the best viewing for the eclipse will be the Pacific Rim. That's the western part of America's, Australia, New Zealand, and Eastern Asia. For the U.S., the best viewing is going to be Hawaii and Alaska, followed by the Western states. So we may get a chance to see some of it here in Kansas, but it's not going to probably be, you know, as vibrant and, you know, awe-inspiring as we'd hope it would be. I'm, uh, I'm kind of over <clears throat> blood moons, strawberry moons. Like, 
growing up as a kid, we just focused on uh, total eclipses, like, you mm-hmm. know, the good old fashioned Mayans. Like, fuck you and your fucking fancy pants. The moon's going to be eight times as big and it's going to be red. Like, nobody gave a shit back in the day. Like, this wasn't like something that was in the newspapers. Like, this is a product. No, it was in the uh, farmer's, farmer's Almanac. Oh, I yeah. just choked on my beer. It was in the Farmer's Almanac. Right, but I'm just saying, like, we didn't make a big deal out of it. Like, oh, my God, it's a blood moon. Like, you'd open up your Farmer's Almanac, like, fuck yeah, blood moon. My apples are going to be 20 times bigger this year. And then that's it. <laughs> James you and the didn't... Giant Peach. <laughs> yeah. You didn't give a shit past that point. That's true. That's a good point. Well, forget the blood moon, Preston, because apparently it's not getting your juices flowing. Let's talk about bugs, okay? We're going to go from Blood Moons to Brood X, the oncoming cicada infestation of May 2021. Have you heard anything about this, the Brood X cicada? No, um, but, um, you know, just the cicadas themselves, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the 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 animals out of all the anim, you know insects and everything in the animal kingdom that really follow this uh, cycle pattern. Um, mm-hmm. They they have a very very much their own creepy cycle built into them, where like um, maybe it was an act of God or maybe it was a coincidence, but during like mm-hmm. the Exodus. Um, that that happened that when the locusts, you know, basically fucked up Egypt for, you know, like seven days, eight days, however many days, days it was, uh, there was a scientist that went back and actually said that, um, that during that time period that, um, it, it wasn't like an act of, of God. It was an act of nature that it just yeah. so happened that because of their cycle, um, they'd been basically sleeping and hibernating for however many years. And all of a sudden they like woke up and they're like, fuck yeah, been asleep for like a hundred years. I'm about to go <laughs> eat on some shit. And, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, even, uh, at the property that I live at now, um, there are years where we have zero locuses and then there are years where like, like every single fucking one of them must have woken up and there's like a thousand of them <laughs> in my tree. And, um, but, uh, I, I did not know this that a couple years ago I was watching when David Letterman was, uh, still on the, the late show and, yeah. uh, he had, uh, brought somebody on and they were talking about how, they were visiting like upstate New York where they, you know, they had this huge population of cicadas because they'd woken up during one of their cycles. And like, you could go as a street vendor and get like, you know, deep fried cicada. Uh, They had like little cicada snacks. And I guess that cicadas are pretty fucking good. So I'm going to interject, even though I know nothing about brood X, I'm going to tell you that they're probably not going to be a problem if we just go ahead and devour the fuck out of them and go ahead and <laughs> if we just cooking. deep fry them fuck yeah deep fry them cook them up dude nom 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 hell yeah well i'm going to talk about brood x which turns out is pretty much the pennywise the dancing clown of the cicadas gross we're going to talk about the magic cicada cassini better known as simply the brood x cicada 
Now, every year, like you were saying, Presto, a relatively small number of cicadas emerge from the ground in the eastern United States. Every summer we hear, but once every 17 years, an insanely massive brood of cicadas arrive in the mid-Atlantic over the Midwest, filling up the air with a deafening mating hum that could reach up to 100 decibels. Now, this comes in from CBS News. The phenomenon is now known as Brood X, or the Great Eastern Brood. It's set to return this May 2021. It'll last for five to six weeks where the cicadas are above ground. Live cicadas and their crunchy discarded skeletons, exoskeletons, will be almost impossible to miss. Scientists group cicadas based on the year they emerge as adults after spending years developing underground. The Brood X is the name given for the big generation of cicadas due out the spring, just as they did previously in 2004 and before that in 1987. Now, theoretically, that means there should be 17 different generations of 17-year cicada, each linked to a different geographic zone in a different emergence year. For example, Brood 9, the brood that emerged in 2020, was localized specifically to parts of Virginia, West Virginia, and Northern uh, North Carolina. A few of these broods have never been formally observed, suggesting they may have gone extinct a long time ago. One of these missing broods, Brood 11, was last seen in Connecticut back in 1954. So the coming Brood X, that's Brood number 10, is the most widespread and prolific of the known generations. Throughout history, it's appeared as far as the west areas of Missouri, as far south as Georgia, and as far north as Michigan, and even all the way out into Long Island, New York. So most insects, love them or hate them, make annual appearances in our homes and gardens. So what the hell's the deal with these 17-year cicadas? Well, as it turns out, these long cycles are part of a cicada's evolutionary strategy that dates back over 1.8 million years ago to the Pleistocene Epoch, which I probably butchered. Back then, summers could be unpredictably cold in eastern parts of the U.S., which caused a great problem for cicadas, because the temperature has to be roughly above 69 degrees for these guys to prosper. So 68 degrees or lower could be too cold for them to come out of the ground to actually mate. So cicadas evolved into different cycle lengths to improve their odds of survival. So a brute can't survive in a cold summer above ground, but surviving a cold summer below ground is no problem. So these bad boys have a, basically, what, 16 years underground? And this also spending, and spending this time underground also will help them avoid the life cycle and breeding cycle of the cicada killer wasp, or the zeta killer. It's these giant, huge hornets that prey on cicadas. So coming out only on prime number years, like 17 years, basically allows these guys to survive and miss the average mating cycle of their predators. Once above ground, it faces no shortage of predators still outside of the wasps because birds, reptiles, fish, spiders, and even household pets see cicadas as a well-packed snack. I had a dog growing up named Cupid. He's a Pomeranian rat terrier mix. And that little son of a gun used to catch fucking locusts all the time and bring them inside. And I tell you what, nothing will make your butthole pucker and make you scream like a little child 
like that of a cicada. Just right in your ear because your dog dropped it right between your feet. It's like nature's alarm clock. So really the only thing that we're looking at here as a problem for us folks is outside of that 100 decibel mating call we're going to hear, uh, they can be very, very, very destructive towards your plants. So you may want to put up some nettings around your really, really important outside plants that cicadas are known to eat. And when in doubt, guys, you might just skip planting until next year. And like you said, presto, the cicadas are safe for humans to eat. But we shouldn't worry, guys, because nature, as it often does, found a way. And these 17-year cicada X, brood X cicadas are going to take care of themselves. Can you guess how they're going to take care of themselves, Preston? Uh, the fucking killer wasps from China that got released this year are going to fucking eat them, eat them up, kill them. <laughs> no. Oh, well, lay it on me, baby. The 17-year-old brood X cicada are not the only thing that are hibernating under the Earth's soil. And there's no delicate way to put this, presto, so I'm just going to have to say it. So bear with me. I'm going to be frank. The cicadas are going to be forced to fuck till their butts fall off. My name is Buck, and I'm here to fuck. <laughs> uh, you know, I watched Kill Bill once on TNT and they had to edit that out. So it was, my name's Buck and I came to party. And he <laughs> drove the party wagon. Oh, not the pussy wagon? <laughs> nope. So apparently there's a fungus that is laced with the same chemicals as psychedelic mushrooms that will soon invade the bodies of the cicada as they crawl out of the ground through the fungus-infected soil. Because just like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, buddy, nature has found a way. Fuck yeah, nature. Always finding a way. <laughs> Essentially, this fungus is going to find its way inside the cicada's abdomens and then force their back ends to fall off. So basically splitting their abdomens in half. Oh. Yeah. But it's not going to be an all bad way to go because they're basically going to be bombed out of their mind off of psilocybin or under the control of the fungus in other ways, including brain control. Because in nature, some fungi actually can go into the brains of insects and turn them into mindless, you know, worker zombies. Except in this case, they're going to be mindless fuck zombies. Yeah, bang, bang, fuck cicadas. So what's going to happen here essentially is, as they crawl out of the dirt, like I said earlier, the fungus is going to find its way onto their body and begin to spread. It invades their abdomen, forcing as it expands to basically just split the cicada in two. But because they're going to be tripping balls on the uh, psilocybin, their rear abdomen will be replaced with a giant puffy white fungus spore. But with missing butts and full hearts, they're going to do what they were designed to do. Go out and party. So they're going to forge ahead, find mates, and go into Bang Bang Town. But of course, the last part's going to be mostly impossible. Because either the male cicadas are going to lose their genitalia, i.e. peen, or the female cicada are going to lose their genitalia. And either way, you're going to have either males rubbing their junk onto spores, or you're going to have females getting rubbed upon by spores. So this thing is going to spread like nature's worst STD. Really, what they're going to be doing is spreading the spores all over the place, says John Lill, a cicada expert. 
the chair of biology at George Washington University. Oh, man. The sinus infection is going to be the death of me, speaking of horrible ways to go. <laughs> it's basically a sexually transmitted fungus. They engage in normal courtship behavior, yet their abdomen is just a big fungal mass. And instead of attempting copulation, it's going to result in spreading the fungus even further. It's called Massapora cicadinia. The fungus can infect both males and females, but it affects the former in a special way. Now, usually males croon the females with buzzing that weird-ass sci-fi that you hear in the spring and summertime. If a female hears the sound she likes, she responds by flickering her wings, and then they take each other to pound town. Well, this special spore lays all that to waste because it causes males to both sing and flick their wings, allowing them to attract any partner they can. That larger playing field helps the spores spread further. So essentially, if a male sees another uh, cicada flapping its wings, it might just think, ooh, hey, there's a lady. And it runs down, jumps on the back end of the infected uh, cicada, and boom, it spreads. It's a gender-bending death zombie fungus, says Mr. Lil. Now, all this obviously raises questions, Preston. Where the heck did the fungus come from? And how did we find out it's pumped full of mind-altering drugs? And the most Ooh, important I, I, question... I got, I got the answer. <laughs> okay, it, go for it. It's an ancient Egyptian curse. See, the pharaohs were pissed off during Exodus that God sent down the locusts as a plague. So uh -huh. after they recovered, they're like, fuck you, locusts. Here's a like a <laughs> you know, like a fuck curse. And uh, you know, after thousands of years, they're finally getting their revenge. Aha. I think you're a hundred percent correct. <laughs> well, <laughs> lay it on me what science has to say. What does science tell us? Well, first of all, Preston, science has to ask the most important question. Like you mentioned earlier, cicadas can be a very delicious, crunchy street truck food. If oh, you yeah. eat enough of these uh, buttless <laughs> LSD-infected cicadas, could you yourself get high? Probably. Well, scientists have known <laughs> scientists have known about the massaspora since the 19th century. Lil says that somehow it's evolved into a very specifically designed fungus to attack periodical cicadas. It lays dormant in the soil for 13 to 17 years, depending on its own preferred brood. And then it germinates as soon as cicadas start roosting. That is why I love science, because it's not just 17, you know, year cicadas. It's not 17 year hornets. It's also 17 year psilocybin LSD tripping fungi. Oh, boy. Boy. Well, researchers at the West Virginia University were studying a gaggle of infected cicadas back in 2016 when they, discovered, when they discovered some of them were chock full of psilocybin that had been developed from the fungus, and others were loaded with amphetamines. At first, I thought, there's absolutely no way, said Greg Boyce. It seemed impossible. Matt Kaysen, a professor and lead researcher on the project, also wrote an academic paper with his team and started calling these little spore-secreting bugs flying salt shakers of death. There was enough psilocybin in the cicadas that Kaysen told the outlet he briefly worried he could get in trouble for actually studying a Schedule I drug without a permit from the DEA. 
He thought, oh, crap, the DEA is really going to come in here any minute. They're going to tase me and then confiscate my little psilocybin flying salt shakers of doom. Eating cicadas is definitely a thing, like you mentioned earlier, Presto. So Lil said the high-end restaurants in Washington, D.C. that incorporate insects into their menu as a seasonal treat refer to actual cicadas as tree shrimp. Case and guests devouring a large number of the infected bugs could indeed have some kind of mind-altering effect, but keep in mind, people bold enough to snack on cicadas usually do so right after the bugs molt their exoskeleton, long before the massosporia takes control of the bodies. So you got to find these bugs after they sprouted the wings and they're still flying around. <clears throat> Older cicadas would be crunchy and unpleasant, Lil said, even to squirrels, rats, and birds who treat the emergencies like an ecological golden corral. <laughs> so he says, I would advise avoiding the psilocybin-riddled cicadas. I wonder if we could just lick the fungus off, like find like the cocaine-ridden <laughs> cicada, pick it up and just give it a little lick-lick, put it back in the tree and be, be like, get the fucking, buddy, get the fucking... Get to fucking rub, do something, rub together. Yeah, I don't know, but that sure as hell is interesting, and I did not see that article coming out of left field like it did. But yeah, isn't that something, folks? Your daily science lesson. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen to, you know, the, the, uh, the actual mammals that do eat these things, you know, normally, like squirrels and whatnot, you know, house cats, get, dogs, stuff like that. They're going to get high as fuck is what's going to happen. <laughs> they're just going to start listening to the doors. Yeah. <laughs> just lounging around. All of a sudden your dog's oh, going to be like, break on through to the other side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would just about tolerate the doors if that would actually happen. Oh. Oh. Well, Presto, that's all I've got, and it seems as though it's already been about 45 minutes. Um, what do you say we jump on your monster deep dive on next episode? Yeah, joke's on you, listeners. We uh, <laughs> fucking jam-packed the news with uh, sideline and chit-chat that, uh, yeah, we've almost got an hour worth of uh, bullshit just in the news, so... <laughs> No worries. I did go ahead and do an edit in the beginning of the episode and announce that we wouldn't be doing the uh, monster topic of choice this episode. But again, um, it was very nice because I asked the question on Instagram, what are some of our listeners' favorite water and lake monsters? We got a pretty decent reply from some really cool creatures, especially the one that is called the Silver Swimmers. Have you heard of that before? Nope. Isaac's comment doesn't count because uh, that's a movie monster. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Baba Drox said the silver swimmers of Lake Bacal. The giant humanoids count as monsters, right? So, yeah, I'm going to want to do a little dive into what the uh, silver swimmers are before we record tomorrow night for next week. So, yeah, look at that, guys. We appreciate your feedback, and we will uh, be sure to include some of that on our next episode. So anyway, let's close things out. Thank you guys so much for listening. While you're at it, please check out the Instagram, PXL Paranormal. Check out our Facebook. We have a Twitter that we never use, unfortunately. So please forgive us for that. But what you could do for us, send us a voicemail. Our Google voice number is 
662-3144. Shoot us a message. We'd love to hear if you have a personal story you want to share with us. Um, Our 200th episode is coming. It'll drop sometime in July, so now is the perfect time to ask. Folks, if you have your own personal paranormal story, please send it to us. You can email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Shoot us a DM. Slide into our PMs. Shoot us a text if you know us on a personal level. Or, yeah, give us a voicemail call. I think you can yeah. leave up to like a three-minute long uh, message on there. So, And get your asses over to YouTube because we're six subscribers away from breaking 100. So like oh, shit, and subscribe. Really? Yeah, and share that shit on YouTube. So... Oh, yeah. And welcome to all our new listeners, all our new followers. Hello. If you choose to do the backlog, which I normally do on new podcasts, uh, enjoy. you got a long ways to go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. And tell your friends and your family to give us a listen. Please refer us to friends. We want to keep on growing. Shoot us some more iTunes reviews. That would be wonderful. And again, you can tell your friends to find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, like Preston said, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that will get you lucky, like the Brood X cicadas that are about to come out of hibernation, then go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Because you... When you're in that moment, you want your beard not only to look the best, but you want it to smell the best and have that nice little sexy (laughs) gloss that only Dobbs can give you. So do yourself a favor. Check out Bay Rum Sweet Tobacco Fresh Citrus Dundee Cedar Mint and Classic. Get it all and get it at Dobbs and tell them that the boys at Pixelated Paranormal sent you. Hell yeah. And while you're at it, guys, this weekend, Sunday afternoon here in Wichita, there's going to be a open market. It's going to be called Art and Ale 6 Pop-Up Market at Public at the Brickyard. And as a special treat, Big Dobbs himself will be there and he'll be selling his world famous beard oil and beard balm. So come on down and check us out down there. I'll be down there hanging out with him all day. Steve's going to try to pop by. Preston's going to try to pop by if he can. That's going on from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. down at Public at the Brickyard. It's free to come in. And of course, there's going to be tons of great vendors for you to shop. So we'd really love to see you down there. I'll have a handful of stickers to be giving out. So yeah, stop by. Say what's up. Holler at your boys. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that, guys, we will go ahead and finish her up. On behalf of Steve, I would love to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that would love to talk about it. Stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.